Hello and welcome to the Virtue Podcast. Uh, This is Tiffany Velasquez and I am so glad to be with you again. Well, here we are just a month, uh, almost a full month into the new year and this chapter that we're going to be looking at today, James chapter 4, is so consistent with the start of a new year. Especially now that we're about a month in, we're probably seeing now whether or not the prayers, the vision, the plans, the goals, and the dreams that we had for this new year, if they're in motion, or if we're already beginning to see some sort of deferment of those goals or setbacks for whatever reason. I know so many of us, myself included, have committed to making healthier choices in how we eat and making a commitment to move our bodies more intentionally and regularly, aka exercise, right? Maybe we've committed to some financial goals, some budgeting challenges, and saving for something in particular. We have committed to a more regular and consistent Bible reading plan, uh, or maybe something like you want to move, a big life change. You want to move from where you live now, or you want to grow your family, or you want to get married this year, or you want to begin new patterns or rhythms for you and your family. All of those things and more, even if I didn't mention it, big and even seemingly small, are so good and well when first committed to the Lord first and foremost. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in this chapter four in the book of James. I remember a few years back, I was strongly (laughs) trying to figure out how to accomplish a very significant personal goal for myself and my family. And I thought that I had lined up all of the details in such a way that it would come to pass. And if I'm honest, I also did a whole lot of begging or nagging in my husband's direction as well. And I was really disappointed when that goal did not come to fruition in my life. And I began to really wrestle in prayer over the reason for the no or the wait that the Lord had given me. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that it was a couple of years, maybe even a few years before I came to this revelation that it wasn't because of a circumstantial uh, reason within my control or reluctance on my husband's part or lack of effort or complaining (laughs) on my part that it wasn't just going to happen. You see, the Lord had closed the door because it wasn't his plan. It wasn't his will for my life in that season. And should I have come to that conclusion sooner? or earlier on, I would have saved myself probably that effort I was giving in my own strength and even times tears that I had put into that while I was scrambling and thinking about how I could figure it out and make it happen for myself. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Well, we all like to make big plans for the future, and that's so good. And in the book of James, chapter 4, like I said, that's what we're looking at today. James begins by talking about war with God. We talked about that in last week's podcast, war with God, war with others. And he ends with what we're looking at today with the will of God. So from war to will. And it's true because those two things are connected. When a believer, when we're outside of the will of God, we often become troublemakers or uh, not the peacemakers that we hope to be because we're outside of the will of God. And when I was in my own strength, fighting for what I thought was best for me, like I just mentioned, it also created rifts between uh, those, me and those around me, especially um, my husband and even with the Lord. And I was striving for something outside of God's will. 
So we're going to look at these verses. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17 today in James 4. James begins this new section here, but he also continues to carry on this theme from the previous chapters of humility. And we've talked about how the book of James is kind of a barometer and an instruction guide to how we can become mature believers, mature women in our faith, and how humility with others is such a a resolve in conflict and builds these harmonious relationships, right? But James is going to talk about humility in regards to looking towards the future. And we don't always think about humility in that way. I know I don't. So I'm going to read verses 13 through 17 to you quickly here. Verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You might be thinking, okay, that seems pretty normal, right? We're going to make a plan. We're going to make some money. This is kind of harsh here, James. It's okay to plan. And it is. And James knows that. But what James is uh, discussing here, he's talking to these wealthy merchants who were believers in the group, and they were kind of arrogantly boasting about their plans for their future successes. And in their boasting here, they never mentioned anything about God's will or God's plan or even prayer or anything spiritual in their boasting. And these people, they professed to know Christ. They were believers, but they were living with a worldly attitude that the Apostle John, uh, later on in the in the book of 1 John 2, calls the boastful pride of life. They were making plans without taking into account their mortality and God's sovereignty or God's plan for their life. So James goes on to say in verse 14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And James is reminding us here of the brevity of life. And all throughout scripture, the Bible is so clear and intentional in reminding us that this life that we're living right now is short. It's a repeated theme all throughout scripture because it's short and we need to be reminded of that. In Job 8 and 9, actually all throughout Job, it talks about how short our lives are. But in Job 8 9 says, For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, for our days on earth are a shadow. You know, when you look at your shadow, in order to get it to disappear, all you have to do sometimes is just take one step in either direction and it's gone, right? In Psalm 39, 4 and 5, it says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And then Moses in Psalm 90 says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, saying even if you're strong, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. I love what Billy Graham says about this specific chapter that uh, Psalm 90 that Moses uh, gives here that I just read. He says, yes, 70 years God allows. The first 15 are in childhood. 20 years, if you add it all up, are spent in bed. For the last five years, the physical limitations are curtailing your activities. Only 30 years left. That's all you really have 30 years out of 70, and part of that has to be spent, he says, eating, working, and figuring out your income tax. 
You know, scripture reminds us that life is so brief that we can't merely spend our lives just spinning our wheels and just going, you know, just trying to get by. We can't spend our lives just wasting our lives. We have to invest our lives in the things of God, the spiritual things of God that go into all of eternity, like sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel with someone is going to be something that goes into all of eternity or taking younger believers under our wings to intentionally minister to them. How about your role as a woman in your life? Maybe you're a mom. If you are a mom, your children are the most lasting and meaningful disciples that you will ever have. And every day with them is an eternal investment and an opportunity for ministry. Marriage, if you're married, marriage is huge and a huge part of the work that God is doing, not only in your home, but also in the world. And the fruit of that, a well-lived marriage will go into all of eternity. I wish I could sit with my teenage self, I'm sure many of you can relate, and just tell the teenage Tiffany about what things really matter in life. Because I feel like we all spend a lot of time in our younger years thinking and worrying and putting effort into things that don't really matter, right? James goes on to say in verse 15, he says, instead, so here's the alternative, here's my suggestion, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here James is confronting that that arrogant spirit that he had observed in these churches at the time. And pride and arrogance in any area of our life can be detrimental. We know that. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Pride is destructive, but humility, as we've been talking about these last couple weeks, humility is evidence of Christ's life in us. Jesus himself was the ultimate example of humility, right? Humility is willing to admit when we're wrong. This is some of the fruit of humility. Willing to admit when we're wrong. Striving to be teachable. That's so huge. Being willing to accept someone's correction or instruction or teaching in your life. And also submitting to God's plan, which we know is so much better than ours. And that's James' exhortation here. He's saying, don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant about what the future holds or what you're going to accomplish in and of your own strength. Consider what God's will is for your life first and foremost. What does he have for you? You know, the topic of God's will for our life is so huge. It's often a subject with so many questions and there's articles on on how to know God's will and how to implement God's will. And I remember a really instrumental book in my life growing up when I was a teenager and young adult was called Listening to God in Times of Choice. And I loved that book because it helped me try to determine, you know, who I was going to date and what school, college I was going to go to. But, you know, I want to emphasize with you today that God's plan, God's will for our life is simple. And you know what? It's good. He has a good plan for your life because he's a good God. And not only is God good, which he is by nature good, 
but he's also omniscient, which means that he is all knowing, right? He is all wise. So he knows what should happen in your life and when it should happen. And that should give us peace because we know that if we're actively abiding in Christ and we're seeking God's will, we can have that peace that, hey, if we're anxious that something hasn't come about in the timing or way in which we thought it would, we can still trust God in that, right? Because his ways are better. God is a God of love and he desires the very best for us, his children, you and I. You know, I was meeting with a group of friends a couple months ago and we were we were talking about um, God's will for our lives and a friend of mine who has been through unspeakably hard things in her life said, you know what? If I'm being honest, I'm scared of God's will for my life because of the way I've suffered when I am walking with him. And I appreciated that honesty so much. And I think to some degree, it is easy to be afraid of what he might ask us to go through or to walk through or to live through. But you know, the real danger is not in the will of God, but it's when we live outside of the will of God. The safest place in the world for us as God's kids is right where he wants us to be. He is with us there. He will meet us there. He will strengthen us there. He will grow you in that place. And he will also heal you in that place. But also he will bless you there. He will honor your obedience to him in that place. Warren Wiersbe says the will of God comes from the heart of God. The will of God comes from the heart of God. His will is an expression of his love. So we don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear the will of God. And when we can grasp that, I believe it changes our lives. It changes our perspective on where we're going, what we're doing, and how we're doing it. Life can be complicated. We know that. There are lots of decisions, lots of life choices, big and small. But when we're in the center of God's will, there is this simplicity. There's simplicity and there's unity that takes a hold of our lives. Not that it won't come with trials or hardships, but you can take your steps in confidence. But there's this simplicity because we know our purpose. We know the end. We know God's plan for our life. We know to whom we belong. So there's this simplicity and unity that takes place when we're walking in God's will. And let me tell you, God doesn't waste a single thing. He has purpose in everything that he allows us to walk through. Even if it's painful, there's purpose in your pain. He doesn't waste a thing. And only when we are in God's will can we experience that, that confidence because we know that he's leading us. You know, my kids, they love making decisions using that little nursery school rhyme, bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish. How many pieces do you wish? And then they go around and count and whoever gets eliminated first, you know, that makes their decision. And it's cute. I love to hear it. But thank you, Lord, that we don't have to make our decisions in life like that because we serve the living God who desires to make his will known to us. And the will of God is found in our relationship with Jesus. The will of God is found in our very relationship with Jesus and the time we spend with him. Throughout your life, you're going to face major decisions and you're going to wonder how to know which option to choose. And you probably hope that you're doing what, what God wants you to do in those life decisions. Should you marry the person that you're dating? Should you take that job offer that's in a different city or a different state? Which college should you attend? Should you adopt a child? Is it time to make that decision? 
some aspects of God's will are very clearly spelled out in the Bible, right? The Bible is very clear about things like giving thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, about avoiding sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. The Bible is very clear about the will of God to do good in 1 Peter 2, 15, for example. But other things, like those things I just mentioned, or knowing the right time to buy a house, or whether you should go back to school, or those types of things, they're not always covered very specifically in the Bible. So if you're facing a big decision, you probably wish that God would just write his will out for you on a wall, right? Or speak with an audible voice. You know, God rarely chooses to make his will known to us in those obvious ways. But instead, he wants us to spend time and be persistent in seeking his guidance and seeking his counsel. Jesus said in Matthew 6, this is the New Living Translation. We probably all have this committed to memory. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. That means live right before him and he will give you everything you need. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You know, God knows that the process of seeking him is as important as the answer that he might give to any question that you're asking him. As you take these steps of faith, you're going to start to learn to recognize God's leading in your life. You're going to grow spiritually. Your relationship with him is going to be strengthened. It's not always simple, but it's always worth it. And the more we recognize God's will for our lives and we respond in obedience, then guess what? We start to recognize him the next time and the next time, and we get the feel of what it's like to walk in his will. You start with that thing that you know to do, and you do that, and then God opens the next thing for you. And you know what? When we get it wrong, when we step out of God's will for our life, which we've all done, God's grace covers, right? It's not the end of it all. Yes, there might be consequences for a bad decision for sure, but it's been said when God cannot rule, he will overrule. God can adjust and he can bring us back if we willingly surrender to him. And that's when he makes beauty of ashes, right? I want to come back to something that I said a little bit earlier as I close today. I said that the safest place in the world is right where God wants you. And not only is it the safest place, but also that's the place where we can delight in and we can have blessing in. It doesn't always have to be a struggle, right? Psalm 119.54 says the statutes, which that means the decrees or the orders of God. The psalmist says the statutes have been my song in the house of pilgrimage, right? We love God. When we love the Lord, his statutes, his will, his decrees, his orders, they become our song. They become our joy in walking with him. And when that happens, that's evidence of maturity in our relationship with him and learning to know God's will for our life. Girls, God is so trustworthy. He is so faithful. In him, we are going to grow deeper. We are going to see our prayers answered. We're going to better know God's truth because we're living in it. And the fruit of our life, the fruit of our obedience will follow us all the way into eternity. And our lives here on earth will be more abundant. They will be happier and they will be holier. As Jesus said in John 4, 24, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
Jesus said that his very food was to do the will of God and your very food and my very food will be the will of God and we will delight in it. We can delight in it. As we close today, I want to close with this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in the book of Colossians. So it's Colossians 1, 9, and 10, and I want to close with this. Paul prayed, and I pray now, God, we come before you now, and we thank you so much that you have made your will so known to us throughout your word and by your spirit and through the counsel of those that uh, have, are striving to live their lives for you. God, we just, we thank you that you're a God that responds to us and talks to us and you don't hide your face. You say, when we seek you, we will find you. And as Paul prayed, God, I am asking now that you would give complete knowledge of your will, Lord, and to give spiritual wisdom and understanding to the women that are listening to this podcast now. The scripture goes on to say, then the way you live will always honor and please God. And that's what we strive for, Lord. We want to honor you and we want to please you. And our lives will produce every kind of good fruit, evidence that we've spent time with you, Lord. All the while you will grow, we will grow as we learn to know you better and better. And Lord, that's our prayer. So Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen.